This is the one with Matchbox miniatures. Zap dancing. A grenade for the home. An app called Hire Ryan to fly your pilotless liner. And the almost as cold as when I fell tower. It's called Spyfall Part 2. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hair. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, from Oxford with love, tonight we are only recording twice for your ears only. For all of you for whom the episode is not enough, we are Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dogpast. That's right. Christ, I should have scripted my intro. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight we are here to review Spyfall Part 2 N157. And I say we because I am not alone. I am but Drew back when, and across me, pouring himself a drink. Yeah, we're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> Which can only be a harbinger of good things. It's Leon. Oh, what up? Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. Hello, Leon. Hello, podcast land. So we've just finished Spyfall part one. Yep. We are going to power through. Oh, yeah. Let's plow through this mf Yeah. <laughs> High level from last time. 10 minutes ago, last fortnight, whatever. Is this upwards or downwardly directed? I think upwards. Me too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yes. Hey, you're my friend who agrees with me. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast land. Remember two weeks ago when you were like, that drew back when? He never gives out enough points. He hates Doctor Who. He's a secret hater. Not today. <laughs> Why is it upwards for you? Because I feel like Sasha Dewan has more to do. Yeah, certainly. I feel like Jodie Whittaker has more to do. In fact, maybe everybody has more to do. Yeah, it's like the exposition is out of the way now. We can actually get to the meat of the story. Yeah, and honestly, Action 1, Action 1, there you go. Episode 1 was mostly action. It had the car chase, it had the party scene. Yeah. We've got most of the James Bondy elements out the way, for better or for worse. And now, here is Doctor Who, ready to put some meat on these bones. That's exactly right. That's exactly how I feel. But, Drew, pray tell, what is this episode about? Well, there's only one way to divine that, and that's via a B-scale. Let's... Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Opening on part one's epic cliffhanger, Doc is stuck in a rainforest. Team TARDIS is plummeting to Earth in a cockpitless plane. Er was in fact the master all along, and mankind is about to be reformatted. Oh yes, didn't we mention that before? Extra-dimensional space aliens, the Kasavin, are moments away from having Daniel Barton implement their plan of world dominance. How do they plan to achieve that? By him technically having us all agree to DNA reformatting in the T's and C's, naturally. Kablamo! It's one paragraph later now, and Doc has since escaped the brain forest, teamed up with Ada Lovelace and Noor Khan, and is now speeding across Nazi-occupied Paris, attempting to steal the Master Stardust to get herself back to the future. And in the meantime, the rest of Team TARDIS are on an adventure of their own to put the kibosh on Barton's software rollout. It's said to be a marvellous adventure, as long as Doc remembers to retroactively Bill and Ted that plane from paragraph one. Misco, over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Slight bias. Okay, to start at the beginning. Yeah. 
Have they beefed up the bass on the theme tune? Oh, oh, interesting. It sounds I don't like know. it to me. People care about this. Not me, but <laughs> I feel like they've really gone with our... This time. Yeah. Really dialed it up to the max. That's how I felt in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. I, like, oh, okay. I already felt like, whoa, this is heavy on the bass. <laughs> oh, right. But yeah, maybe it's changed. Yeah, I think there's a whole pack of subwoofers barking this time around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I couldn't tell you. Okay, well, compare it for yourselves, podcast land, and berate me for wasting your time <laughs> if I sent you on a wild goose chase. <laughs> Let's talk about something more concrete. Okay. You asked in Spyfall Part 1, our review thereof, Mm -hmm. what the shit is Daniel Barton up to with the Kasavin and what's his plan and everything? Oh, please elucidate me. Well, I have read the transcript closer and I think I was pretty correct on the whole he is bored with humanity. He privileges his systems that are smarter and can run more efficiently than humans. He's following the data on this one. The data says humans are only useful if they're repurposed. Luckily, he's got an app for that. And he says a handful of us, i.e. him and, I don't know, whoever has the biggest tits in his organization, (laughs) will remain sentient in order to supervise, maybe even rebuild Daniel, you old dog. So that's it. It's that simple. Okay. So, I mean, that sounds like a great place to be post-invasion. Hooray! I'm Daniel Barton, and I'm the last person alive on this planet. But also, that doesn't actually take into account the Kasavin or anything they want or what they'll be doing? No, but it's similar to the Master. I don't think he's thought that far ahead. All he wants is just upgrade mankind. He wants to put his mark on the world and also do something stupid and megalomaniacal, a la a James Bond villain who just wants to take over the world. Yes, and the Kasavin in their turn, maybe they just assume that they will be able to kill the other two elements of this triumvirate. Well, it seems really weird that they would even interact with... What's his name again? Brandon? Daniel Barton. Barton. (laughs) I don't know why that just escaped my brain. I don't know why they would interact with him or with the Master. Like, why? Seriously, they don't need to. They've been there for centuries. They've been going at this for the longest time. They're overly prepared, and they're clearly capable of doing whatever they want. They don't need his permission or his software. Okay, so as far as I can tell, they have been targeting Earth for centuries. They've been targeting computers and spies, both at the same time time yeah, i don't know in which order yeah i mean all of that is bullshit by the way yes at some point the master has cottoned on to their scheme yeah and decided to take advantage of it and barton as a significant figure in computing's recent history mm-hmm. is also recruited by the master to maybe the master just likes the way he thinks <laughs> the master doesn't need barton does he no He's I mean, got the silver lady already. Can we talk about this silver lady? What's this silver lady? Come on, silver lady, take my <laughs> hand. It's a cue for a good song. That's what it is. <laughs> I won't work out on you again, believe me. So what is it? Um, <laughs> I mean, didn't that answer your question? Is it's, it designed by the Kasavin? I don't think so. I think it's designed by the master to help the Kasavin project into phones, into devices, mobile devices. Through devices into people. Wait, right. but aren't the devices being used to direct the reformatting rays? So the devices, everyone has a mobile device, everyone has an iPhone, and everyone has downloaded the app, or maybe the app comes with the phone or whatever else. Or the underlying architecture, the 
rare earths or I don't know what the microchips. Yeah. That's just the portal for their This software. is basically, uh, this is Kingsman. Have you seen Kingsman? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't in Kingsman, the first one with Sam Jackson, spoilers for Kingsman, podcast land, oh. does, doesn't he have a mobile phone company and he goes, hey, everyone should have a free phone. Here, everyone gets a free phone, except for a few people who are basically, what's his name, Richard Branson? Daniel Burton. Fuck. Burton. Burton. <laughs> is it Burton? It is Daniel Burton. I knew Barton. it. I, I knew yep. it. First try. So everyone has a phone and that phone is going to kill them, except for the few people who are Sam Jackson and his buddies. Isn't yeah. this exactly the same thing? Yes, and that film must have predated this. Must have, because there's been two since. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, regardless, so he's providing the phones, or he has already provided the phones. He has the infrastructure in place. To clear the planet so that the Kasavin have plenty of Lebensraum or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the Master has the silver statuette, which funnels the Kasavin energy into the phones, and the phones direct the energy at the people. Is that it? Except it's not the Kasavin energy. It's not them themselves. They're not going to inhabit the human bodies that have been vacated, evacuated. Wait, are they not? I don't Oh, think I totally so. thought so. I absolutely thought this was just like that Charles Dickens episode, that they want to clear us, they want to reformat us and take over our bodies. So the Kasavin are the data that the reformatted humans will be filled up with? I thought so, yeah. I mean, maybe... That does make a kind of sense. I didn't think that's what the episode was saying, but boy, was it confusing. I may very well be wrong about that. I've got a question for you. What if you don't have a smartphone? Oh, what if you're like Paul Merton, for instance? Yeah. Yeah, who famously can't be asked with any of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you... I think you're fine. Right, great. Like, oh. Great plan, guys. Great plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it also... While acknowledging that mobile phones in Africa were used for banking before they were even used for banking in the first world, yeah, there are still plenty of places where people don't have the internet and they don't have mobiles yeah. or smartphones of any kind. Yeah. Uh, okay, returning to this statuette, it's just the one statuette, right? Yes, the silver lady. There's just the one. Just the one. Why have it in the past, pre-smartphones? What was it doing there? What was it doing with Babbage, for example? Well, it was delivered to Babbage via a boy who gave it to him as a token of appreciation from his master. Yeah, why? To give the Kasavin a way of grabbing Ada Lovelace. And before she had invented computers, right, back to her earliest teenage years taking her into their dimension and studying her for a little while via episodes that she experienced as paralysis in our universe. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask it again. Why? Why are they doing that? <laughs> like, what good is kidnapping pre-having invented coding Ada Lovelace in a world with no smartphones? How does that help them? And also, what is their relation to time? Because... Oh, that's a good question. Is that what the master's doing, maybe? Is he adding that element? Oh, I don't know. I don't think that they are. He would have to be transporting them in his TARDIS or via his TARDIS somehow, mm. wouldn't he? Yeah. Like via, I don't know, a temporal gateway projection. Well, maybe that's something. what he does with the Silver Lady. Maybe he travels yeah. back in time, pops the Silver Lady in that time period, then he can go wherever they, he wants, and they, from their dimension, mm. hit upon that statuette. Yes, that still makes no sense to be in the teenage Ada Lovelace's brain, Ava Gordon's, as she was then. Ava Gordon, sorry. Um, before she's met the people who will kick this whole sequence of happenstance and circumstance and synaptic pathways off. She's just a young girl who has a curious mind at that point. Yeah. Mm, I don't feel like this is a big minus, 
But it's yet another element that's like, as you say, why? Repeatedly, yeah. why? Why to much of this? I really like this part, by the way. Yeah. I really do. Mm-hmm. But I think what is to the greatest detriment to this part is that it makes no sodding sense. In fact, as a double feature, this part reveals that the plot is pointless. <laughs> yeah. Also, 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 I'm looking at the transcript. The master oh. says the Kasavin were already here. I just yep. persuaded them we had interest in common. The Kasavin are embedded across the whole of this universe. Right. So... Is the doctor taking care of just the local Kasavin cells? I mean, that's a very good question. When the Kasavin even speaks to the doctor, this might be in part one. Yes. Where it's like, oh, what are you after? Are you after this country, this city, this this world, whatever? It's like, oh, no, this universe. I'm like, right, well, I think we're bucket. Like, <laughs> where do we even begin? <laughs> yeah, you have the Earth maps. That's all very well. But there are billions of planets and seemingly plenty of Kasavin to go around for all of them. So, yeah, yeah maybe just uh, it, start negotiating. Yeah, like, exactly. In terms of surrender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these dudes make the monks seem like breakfast. Like, that is that's <laughs> nothing. That's a picnic, a day in the park. Yeah. I mixed a bunch of metaphors there. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The master thing, though, as in the fact that the master knows that they've been here for aeons, and he just wants to tap into that thing, that inevitability, and make a deal. Yeah. That's so mastery. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a Delgado move. Yeah. As he says later on in the episode, everyone loses except me. Barton and those creatures do the dirty work, and once they're done, I get rid of them. He's always got that yeah. arrogance. Like, yeah. And when it comes to it, I'll just dispose of them exactly. with my masterfulness. And, yeah. Obviously, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone really well, historically speaking. <laughs> So, yes, classic master mistake to make. But, yeah, but, but that's why we love him. Do figure out what everyone else is trying to get out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, we started by making that exact same complaint about Barton. Yes. Like, why are you not taking into account what the other side wants here? Yeah. <sighs> What's the dynamic between Barton and the master? They have a scene together where they're sort of squaring off against each other. Yeah. In um, his TARDIS. Yes, because... The master gave Barton the orders at very short notice. Get out the cockpit. I need you playing for a thing. And I feel like they're supposed to be confronting each other, but that scene doesn't really ignite. The master goes off to a different part of the room and smashes his fists down because he realizes the doctor's there. And again, like I said last time, Barton, Lenny Henry never raises the level above peevishness. Yeah, so okay. because of that, I don't know how long, how many times they've met, how long their association has been. I don't feel like either has put much effort into double-crossing the other exactly. They're just like, I, I we're mean, broadly the- on the same page, right? So we'll just keep doing what we want to do. Okay, does that work for you? Yeah, that works for me. Okay, great. Okay, how about this then? So the master, he took on the identity of O. Yeah. Let's call it, what, seven years ago? Ten years ago? Why did I think the 90s? Maybe that's just my natural frame of reference. I wanted to say 17 years, but since the 90s, sounds good to me. Okay. So for quite a long time, he's built a career. From day one to retirement, he's had a whole career. Yeah. He goes into this... One assumes for a reason, and it, that reason might be that the Kasavin are interested in spycraft. So, oh, yes, of course, yes. So if he goes into that because they have that interest, it must be because he's also telling them, listen, I've got another plan, here's my counteroffer. So that might mean that he has been in touch with 
Daniel Barton, I'm struggling to remember his name every time I say it, by the way, <laughs> yeah. since the 90s. Maybe all waiting for him. All waiting for him. That's a fair point as well, yeah. Yeah. But certainly this is not something that just happened last week. This has been going on for a while. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I don't think there is anything to do with the 90s. Maybe your seven years is more. The master just says he ambushed him on his way to work for his first day. Yeah. I love that he has him in a little matchbox. That's also a flipping Delgado. What a dude. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's talk good master points. All right, yeah, nice. Because I can tell that's where you want to go every time. Hey, whatever you want, dude. Dude, I want to experience it. (laughs) I want to feel the love you have for this character. Okay, so there are... Wash over me. I mean, I love the master as a character in general. In this episode, there are plenty of little classic who nods, and some of them are to do with the master. I mean, the plot itself is such a classic who master thing. (laughs) He teams up with a big bad is super arrogant about it, doesn't realize until it's way too late that he's way in over his head. And then usually what happens is Doc has to bail him out and then he escapes. In this case, Doc (laughs) kind of bails out the earth, but he doesn't escape. But still, that setup is super classic Who. The master here, uh, the thing is, it's an odd balance to me. This is not like a new Who take on Delgado, but it's a new Who master who's like flipping insane. Just so violent and aggressive and brutal and homicidal. Yeah. But is still clearly that same master because of some of these little idiosyncrasies. Like the thing of like turning people into matchbox figurines. Lovely. Yeah, which if you're bringing the mask up to date for the Netflix age, sounds like mission accomplished. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Cool. We said this in part one, I would absolutely prefer Missy to this master. Yeah. But that's because Missy has more of that classic who flair. Flamboyance. Exactly. There's more theatricality to any Missy scene than you get with Sasha Dewan. Oh, but when Sasha Dewan enters the Royal Society's Adelaide Gallery wearing a top hat and commanding the room's attention and everything everything comes to an absolute halt and then he just has his fun. Yeah. He has his wicked way with everybody there. Everyone's powerless to stop him at least for a few minutes. Yeah. Surely that is up there. You are absolutely right. Okay, how about this then? I'll walk that back. How about this? <laughs> Missy, much like Classic Who Master, was the actual mastermind. Sasha Dewan's master, if we're doing the Bond parallel again, okay. is more like the off-the-hinge henchman. Oh, he's like the Grace Jones. Yeah, he's like the Grace Jones. Or, actually, no, what? No, she I was, am remembering this. She right. was Chris Walken's bodyguard, I want to say. Max slash Zorin's Max Zorin's yeah. trainer. Yeah, total badass. Anyway, here's the thing. He's too wild and unpredictable to be the master mastermind, you know? Okay. Do you not feel that? He goes in there, kills a few people, and then just goes like, I, I don't know why I do it. I, I feel like the only reason I do it is because I feel at home when I take a life. That's I, fucking mental, my dude. That's it insane. Is <laughs> but I feel like he's also telling the doctor that because he is on one level very aware of just how repulsive and repugnant she will find that. No. Oh. When he tells her, like, I'm going to get the biggest rise out of you possible. I'm going to make you suffer as much as I can. Like, behold, my filthy being. <laughs> That's probably not untrue. Yeah. Okay. How but, do you feel about the master? I feel like he is much better in this episode. I really did enjoy that turn from him that I described. And also, he is hella sinister in his Gestapo getup. Yeah. 
and they're lighting him in the dark and there are all the bombs going off and you've got the whole war setting and everything. So you're sort of keyed to find him extra disturbing. And boy, did I. I feel like he was really animating that along with everything else. No, I completely agree with you. And I mean, the very end of his Gestapo run, his line, you've always struck me as such reasonable people, which is a Mm. hilarious line. It's such a good line to pop in there. But I also kind of feel like it might be true. Like he might actually have thought so. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's really, regardless, masterful writing. Yeah. You've touched on something that was quite controversial at the time. What's that? When the doctor removes the facial perception filter and points out to the Aryans that they're looking at a guy of Asian colouring extraction. Yeah, that's true. She's basically sending him to a concentration camp. Yeah, essentially. And she doesn't actually need to do it because she has sent the message that he's a double agent. Yeah. So they're going to take him in and they're going to do what Nazis do at these interrogations, which I'm sure leaves you know, no stone of horror unturned. But yeah, this gets thrown on the top and people like Chibnas, that's really racially insensitive. It is, yeah. To be completely honest, I hadn't given it that reading, but you're right. I can completely understand how tons of people might be very offended by that. But I'm just leaping to Doctor's defense here, but I'm kind of assuming that the Doc's view is, you've been a Nazi, you've probably perpetrated a number of atrocities in this time period. Let's just give you a taste of your own medicine, in a sense. Uh You know, that kind of shtick. Because I'm assuming that he's not just a Gestapo officer in this one scene. Like, he's probably just like he's had a life as, oh, I'm kind of assuming that he's had a life as this Gestapo officer. Possibly. And that leads me to think, when the Nazis get up to the top of the Eiffel Tower... They'll just be like, oh, who are you? This isn't our guy. You're yeah. the same height as him. Yeah. You're wearing the same uniform. What, what have you done with him? <laughs> yes, <laughs> quite. So for all sorts of reasons, Chibbers, just leave the facial filter on. Never mess with perception filters, Doctor yeah. Who, please. <laughs> you always get it wrong. Yeah. Hey. Since we're talking about him as a Nazi, how did you feel about the scene where he just hands Lunders into Noor Khan's flat and just has his people fire on the floor, then walks out, asks no questions, just just leaves? That was so confusing to me. Yeah. Because they were hidden under the floorboards, under a rug. We didn't really get to see the rug. We didn't get to see the rug. Do we get to see the part of the floor that actually gets shot? From what I could tell... It was under the rug, and the rug was just in front of Noreen Ayat Khan's chair that she was sitting in front of her desk. Now, this room isn't massive. Yeah. Like, these guys are firing round after round into the floorboards. The bullets are ricocheting everywhere underneath there. There just wasn't enough room for them to survive. There's five and a half feet of two hidden people under them. They didn't catch one nick. Yeah, also, everyone in that room, nor Khan, but also the people firing rifles should be going, Oh, shit! Oh, fuck! Oh, yeah. crap! Shit! Yeah, it's exactly like <laughs> yeah. Graham's laser shoes. Like, yes. when he's firing them in all directions, at all angles, just to the left and right of Yaz and Ryan, completely at random. Yeah. There is... A complete projectile illiteracy (laughs) at the heart of this episode. Dude, don't be so insensitive. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's consistent, but it's consistently done. 
Okay, fine, but, but even so, he goes in there because he knows that there's something going on in that flat. Yeah, I suspect. Because- I don't know how, and I don't know why he wouldn't then consult the readings of whatever device had told him that the doctor was there. I mean, either it's that, or it's just he's read a history book he knows about her. Yeah. Because this is his relative past, so he's there, he knows everything. She has no alibi. He knows exactly what she's up to. Maybe he's firing at the floor because he wants to destroy the radio device. But then why now? Doesn't he have bigger fish to fry than to destroy her radio? Regardless, he does that. He he has them fire at the floor. He doesn't interrogate her. He doesn't lift the floorboards or check under the rug. He doesn't check if they've hit something. They just leave. Yeah. So what's the point of that operation? That's so true. The only possible defense I can give is that because when they're firing, they're firing with such ferocity and such noise, such a cacophony, that even if someone was screaming and yelling and your bullets were hitting flesh, you couldn't hear that. So it's true. All he's doing, maybe this is a hell of a stretch, is you fire for 20 seconds and then you listen for a death rattle or some gurgling. That's not how you do it. When he knocks on the floor, he's actually just telling his men to go to the floor downstairs to see if they can look up through holes in the ceiling. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. No, it just seemed like another thing. This is what I'm saying. Like The ambience, great. The writing, the plot elements, they're all there, but the writing is just failing. The story is failing Like It wouldn't have been difficult for the Doc and Ada to be clearly under Noor's desk. If she is shielding them by her chair and her legs and whatever... But then they would ask Noor, please stand up. We're going to shoot this entire floor. We don't care about your rug. If the Nazis cared about Noor's rug, then they'd half-inch it. It would be hanging on some German's wall within minutes. True. So, what the hell? Yeah. There's another problem I have with this whole sequence. Oh, okay. Which is the historical accuracy of the depiction of occupied Paris. Wait, sorry. Are you telling me that this is not historically accurate? (laughs) I feel like if you're going to bring Noor Inayat Khan, uh-huh, yep. a true-to-life historical figure, yep. doing exactly what the episode says she's doing at the time she was doing it, mm-hmm. then the rest of it has to stack up. I agree. It's, That's it's like Rosa. Obviously, you've added a time racist into Rosa, but everything else proceeds almost to the minute as history did. Here, you have a really lazy duplication of wartime Blitz London. I was going to say that. Yes, exactly. As if Paris was exactly the same, and it wasn't. It absolutely was not. No, I mean, people have seen Casablanca, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People who don't know, there was a slogan in the German army, Jeder einmal in Paris, everyone once in Paris, each German soldier was promised a visit to Paris for rest and recreation because it was so peaceful and idyllic, maybe not quite in 1943, but certainly 1940, 41, most of 42. The French resistance weren't even really a thing. The communists were trying, but their impact was minimal absolutely minimal. I did a fair amount of research on this. They did some sporadic attacks on infrastructure. They would derail trains. They would attack German convoys. They might assassinate a few collaborating policemen or German soldiers. But there was no bitter street-to-street fighting with Messerschmitts swooping just overhead. 
I know deplorably literal about this myself, but the sense I got here was also very much of a, oh, Doctor Who does London Blitz. Yep. Wait, let's just slap the Eiffel Tower into the middle of it. Yes. Because the buildings are, they're walking through demolished neighborhoods. There's a flipping tank, I think, at one point. Yeah. At the very least, like we see a battalion with machine guns walking next to some sort of military vehicle in a neighborhood that's been just utterly shot on. They were there, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You might get a Gestapo company together for some reprisals because the reprisals were completely disproportionate. Did the Eiffel Tower have swastikas on it? That I don't know. I'm how do I do this with oh, I'm so, oh, fuck. Okay, Google. Hey, you're going to get some history of <laughs> on me and I'm going to I'm I'm just going to look at this up now. Maybe, I, maybe you look up occupied Paris Eiffel Tower. Don't mention the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> occupied Paris Eiffel Tower. Let's have a look. I was going to say that for each German person killed, Hitler ordered, personally, that 1,000 French hostages, whatever, be killed in response. That was how crazy it got. Interesting. They didn't always do it to that number, but they, in overwhelming responses, were like, okay, you kill one of us, we're going to kill dozens of you. Students, dissenters, whatever. Yeah. It was horrible for the French. But there was nothing like city-wide devastation you see two shots when you approach the eiffel tower and when ada is looking out the window of paris on fire yeah that just didn't happen no exactly no i'm just google image searching this now and i'm seeing a lot of swastikas across paris but not on the eiffel tower on the eiffel tower however they had i'm assuming this is part of it they had erected a v oh Uh, yes i read about the v's oh really because the french as a symbol of resistance a lot of the french resistance was symbolic it was internal it was spiritual yeah they would put V's on things. Uh, on, yeah, maybe. Or just to symbolize the unbowed French spirit. So the Germans would respond by putting V's 10 times, 100 times the size. They co-opted the French symbol of resistance to be, look at our much bigger victories. That's interesting. That's fascinating. I had no idea about that. So the Eiffel Tower bore a gigantic V right. and also a banner that said Deutschland siegt über allen Fronten. Germany victorious on all fronts. Wow. But yeah, no, it wasn't quite as dramatic. I, I want to say that there were Zeppelins in the air and Messerschmitts in the air and swastikas hanging from the Eiffel Tower and flames in the background in this scene. That's what I... Yeah, yeah. there absolutely were. I looked up whether there were any Allied bombing raids. And there were two weeks of bombing raids in September 1943 in the western suburbs of Paris. Mm. So potentially within view of the Eiffel Tower? Maybe. But it's certainly not representative. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to spoil anything, but this kind of makes me think of See How They Run. Yeah. Of the, hang on, we're going to adapt something for the screen. Never mind the source material. Doesn't matter. We need to sell tickets. So let's beef this up. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening here. Maybe the production crew goes, right, so let's do Occupied Paris. Wait, hang on. Have you done Occupied Paris? All I'm seeing is Paris. Mm. Oh, well, that's not going to fly. Can we put some Zeppelins and some flames and some Messerschmitts and some tons of tanks (laughs) and all kinds of shit? That'll work. Yeah. Anyway, I was just a bit disappointed because Doctor Who has been encouraging us to do some research. They've been mentioning figures from history. They've been depicting periods in history. Yeah. Saying, kids, you want to learn about this? Here's your starting point. Now take this and fly. And kids will find out that actually it looked very little like this. Over 400 plays were performed in occupied Paris. Interesting. 
there was a great amount of French-German cultural exchange. Now, obviously, the French wanted to forget about this for large periods. But, yeah. Okay, well, regardless, I don't know how we got into this. Can I pull us up by saying that Nor Inayat Khan... Yeah. Some stuff about her history they got right. She was a special operations executive agent, codenamed Madeleine. Uh-huh. She was the first female wireless operator sent from UK into occupied France to aid the French resistance. She was born in Moscow. Oh, interesting. In 1914. Her mother was American. 1914 in Moscow? Yeah. That is a tough place to be born in 1914. Yeah. They moved to England pretty quickly. Then they moved to France in 1920. They fled France in 1940. Okay. All of which maybe explains why Noor was played by a Belgian in this episode. Nice. Aurora Marion. Okay. And if you look up Noor's biography on Wikipedia or whatever... It's one of those ones where a century ago, people just had the most incredible lives. Like, her father headed entire Sufism organizations and globetrotted and just happened to meet her mother on a tour of America. And they lived everywhere and they knew everyone. And she becomes this historical figure in her own right. It's amazing. Yeah, that is fascinating. How far we've come as a species. Now, what do we accomplish? We eat and work off our kitchen tables. And <laughs> Some of us queue. Some of us queue. Yeah, yep. it's true. Yep. Sure. That was a very impressive queue. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if anyone in podcast land queued. I was in London and saw that queue. Personally, I thought it was bonkers being in that queue for so long. And I'm not from around here. I'm not going to make a statement. But regardless, yeah. Wow. Yikes. (laughs) To see the Queen lying in state, if you've already forgotten, or are listening in the future. Don't want to be rude, but she may or may not be in there. I'm just saying. Schrodinger's queen. (laughs) Yeah, Schrodinger's queen. Oh, dude. I know that's blasphemous in this country, I apologise. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's more treasonable than blasphemous, (laughs) but sure. Well, I mean, hey, uh, this is a comedy podcast. I've got another (laughs) thing about the Nazis. You know what makes me laugh? (laughs) Treason. Hey, so, I'm not, whatever. Uh, Dude, carry on, carry on. So, I'm going to segue from that to, hey, another thing about the Nazis. You'd better. So, so just to point out about the master being an SS officer here, Mm. I may be wrong about this, and I would be curious to hear what Podcastland thinks about this, but I think this is another departure from classic who master my go-to is always delgado but i feel like that master would never have done that like even for the master there were certain lines and the nazis certainly were one of those lines there's maybe one thing where yeah i'll be in league with someone who's gonna kill me if nothing else maybe i'll try to manipulate nlp them into giving me some power or some money or some gold or whatever it might be right but the only real ideological evil represented by the master, and this may be in a very idealized vision of this bad guy in my mind, but the only ideological evil is the one that's directed against Gallifrey and the Doctor, to me, not against others. Like, I almost think the master is above Nazism. He's, well, he has to be. He's if- horrible and, and evil, but he's not that fucking horrible. Yeah. If he is not to be redeemable, you can't redeem the master. The doctor tried. Missy wouldn't quite have it. Yeah. But we love the master Mm. and Missy all the same. Yeah. So this is an escalation is what I mean. Yeah. Because there is a twinkle. You can't be a Nazi with a twinkle. You can't have a favorite Nazi. That's just not possible. Yeah. Sorry. Lost me at Nazi. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Goering was fat. So what? He was a fucking Nazi. Yeah. (laughs) So what if he looks jolly? Doesn't come into it. Yeah. So I think we saved that. (laughs) (laughs) Can we 
talk telepathy? Yes, I was going to ask you, is this a classic thing? Because they specifically mention you're not the only one who can do classic. Yeah, this is one of several nods to classic that I really appreciate in this episode. Yeah, we very recently had a weird telepathy across space and time scene in The Two Doctors, which was Doctor to Doctor, telepathically across the ether, talking to each other. And I can't remember now. I feel like we might have had this with Doc and Master as well. Maybe. I would hope so, because I would think that Doctor talking to Doctor telepathically would it's be... easier. Yeah, because they're the same person in the same time tree or whatever, the same time imprint. What's the thing? The Doctor is funeral. The, the same timeline, the same time... The same timeline, that'll yeah. do. And Clara is holding a cup in front of one Doctor's mouth and then to another Doctor's ear, four right. Doctors apart. Because she's everywhere. Nice, and nice, she's very nice. holding it all together. <laughs> yeah. But okay. yeah, the master, completely different. <laughs> completely different, but same species, and potentially this is just something that they've learned. Yeah. It, to me, this rang true as a classic who nods. Okay. And it's cheesy as balls, but I, I'm happy for it to be a one-time nod, and then let's just move past it. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise, the Time Lords would be doing that all the time. Constantly. Why would you go anywhere? Yeah, and it would <laughs> shortcut all sorts of, well, I mean, how could a Time Lord plot? Everybody's listening in. This exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. During that scene, though, can I just say, whilst 13 is having that conversation with Master, shouldn't Ada and Nor just be going, what the shit is wrong with this lady? Because <laughs> 13 is having an actual conversation into thin air with no one. Yeah, Ada's been on a real wild ride. Perhaps for that reason, she could be like, okay, whatever comes next, I'm not yeah. going to be surprised by. But Nor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, dude, take us to a different topic. Well, let's do the cast, because we did the cast last time. Oh, let's do it. We've already talked about Nora and I at Khan. Mm-hmm. Ada Lovelyface yes. was played by Sylvie Briggs. She's been in two series of Cold Feet, played a Clara in three episodes of The Nevers. Do you know what The Nevers is? Rings a bell. The title is vaguely sci fi. Yeah. Mark Dexter, who plays Charles Cabbage. Okay. Slash Babbage. Yeah. Has a prior Doctor Who connection. Uh, g- 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 speak to me through my climax. He played Dad. <laughs> okay. Now, this doesn't bode well, but he played Dad in two episodes, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember there being a Dad. I know who it is. Who is it? Is this not River Song's fake part, like the dad of her fake children? (gasps) Maybe, yes. Does she have a partner in that? I feel like she has a partner in in that weird matrix. Yeah. 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 That would explain why he doesn't have a name. I didn't remember that she was in both of those in that Stepford Wives ending, but yeah, it could be him. Oh, no, wait. She doesn't go in there until pod two, so no. Interesting. It's not that. I take it back. I take it back. Bad theory. I'm going to check, and if you're right, I'll leave all of it in. And if not, then you'll never hear this podcast, Lance, so lucky you. (laughs) Ah, bloops. (laughs) Bing bong, future Drew back when here, one version thereof anyway. Dad, in Forest of the Dead, Silence in the Library, is the dad of the little girl who's being interrogated by the psychiatrist because she's actually the library and she thinks it's all in her head. Bing bong. (laughs) He was also Tony Benn in The Crown. Didn't see it. He's played David Cameron twice. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In Coalition and Brexit the Uncivil War. Bingo. And similarly, he played the UK Prime Minister in Transformers The Last Night. Wow. For reasons that I think can remain unexplained, um, <laughs> I've not seen it. <laughs> cool. Two Camerons and one separately Prime Minister. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about Ada Lovelyface? Do it. The character in general. Sure, yeah. 
I know nothing about her except the deed for which she is remembered. Yeah, I could not tell you her and Charles's relative contributions to the genesis of computing. No, nor I. I expect that she was overlooked for a while and they're rehabilitating her now. That seems to be how the 21st century is going <laughs> and how the 19th and 20th centuries went. But I, that's as much as I can tell you. She was gung-ho, wasn't she? She, she was, was very gung-ho. She was up for it. Yeah, and this is another thing that really makes me think of Classic Who. The last Classic Who review that we did, mm-hmm. already forgotten what it was called, had H.G. Wells show up. Oh, cool. So like, oh, we go back in time, we pick up a historical figure, someone who actually existed at one point, we bring him back into space or into the future, into the present tense, wherever it is, and we're going to have an adventure. And H.G. Wells was up for it like he was really doing stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah and ada loveless here makes me think of one of those classic who historical figures who just goes and is pulled in and is part of the adventure great yeah much better than nor i think nor khan in this one nor khan i think was kind of hard done by in a sense mm-hmm. she gets to do one thing to do with morse code and then that's it we see nothing else of her this is a double feature about spycraft why aren't we keeping the spy around <laughs> but ada loveless Amazing. Perfect. Yeah. Except. Oh, oh, no. Again, it's like the master last time. You want to see the master. You want to see Ada Lovelace come in and be really gung-ho. But they mishandle her a bit. Doc is running through the brain forest. The synaptic pulses are everywhere because Ada's there. The doctor is going hither and yon. It's like Scooby-Doo. She's running to the left. She's running to the right. All of this. And suddenly there's a front-on shot. Ada is just standing there, looking off-camera. Is this in the forest? In the forest. In the forest, yeah. To where the Doctor is, presumably somewhere to our left. It's very strange. I know exactly what you mean. I can picture it right now, yeah. Yeah. There is no... The Doctor catches sight of her. There's no... She catches sight of the Doctor. They are just suddenly together and conversing. It's a really weird smash cut. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's true. It does help cement Ada's view of this as being part of a delusion. The whole thing is just a hallucination with bad smash cuts in it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a dreamlike state smashing from one significant event to the other and making the connections seem as if everything is entirely logical. I was in a a crazy brain forest and then this lady came up to me and talked and then I was doing a presentation at school and I'd forgotten to put on trousers. It's it's all one-to-one. But for some reason, it was in my front room, but it was big school at the same time. Exactly. Big school, amazing. Yes, I went to a grammar school. <laughs> Do you know what I was missing from Ada Lovelace? Logical problem solving. Mm. Why does she not get to do that? Good point. Have one scene. It could be anything. Like any one of the myriad deductions that Doc has, have Ada deduce it for her. Yes, because all that Ada exhibits in the end is an openness. Mm. And that's an openness to new experiences which is fine as well. Dude, of course this yeah. is fine. This is exactly why people have nominated previous Companions of the Week as, oh, what a shame we didn't get them as more permanent companions. Yeah. An openness to new experiences and adventure and a willingness to get stuck in. That's half the ball game. But as you say, for the mother of computing, she absolutely needs this other element to her as well. She can't just, at the end, be able to be boiled down to... Yeah, I enjoyed seeing the future, and I'd like to see more of it and remember it. Yeah, and then she remembers none of it. (laughs) Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, the fact that her memory is wiped means you don't have to worry about taking any credit away from her. 
Like, it's not like, oh, she sees a computer and that's then what she copies in. This isn't Back to the Future on stage. Hey, hey, Choco, do you hear this music? It's not that, because her mind is wiped. However, just have her display an aptitude for logical problem solving or engineering or whatever it might be, mathematics. And that is the key that we take away from this. Because otherwise, all I'm getting from her is... She's a badass with, like, a... What's it called? A mitraillier? You know, the, the gun. The steam gun. The steam gun, exactly. Yeah. Which is a great scene, by the way. I like that she goes, yes, I'm a woman and I'm constantly undermined, but uh, I keep having to prove myself to you, Loss, whatever it, well, it is. What it is is, that's not designed for use by a young lady. <laughs> well, nothing is, and yet I find myself more than capable. Yeah, soundbite. Perfect soundbite. But even there, and that scene which otherwise I pretty much love. Oh, yeah? The doc tells Ada off for firing the gun. She says, Ada, oh, yeah. I really do not approve. Oh, yeah. It happens very quickly. But then, five seconds later, she's completely fine with Ada chucking as many grenades as she wishes. Yeah, by the way, in a room full of other people as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just this weird inconsistency and inability to redraft. Yeah, that's true. That's smooth a, that's things a, over. That's a freaking great point. What I, the hell is happening there? I want to like all two hours of this double feature, but you can't get five minutes go by without something defective happening to take me out of it. Sure. And something that, it's not even a showrunner's job necessarily to, well, it is because Chris Chibnall has written the episode, but it's lots of people's job. It feels like lots of people took their eye off the ball or it got lost somewhere like, oh, they'll take care of it. It just seems like it's not quite hanging together, this whole production crew. Well... Only, was it one or two episodes ago, you revealed as part of the trivia that they had produced a first draft. Ranskarov Carlos. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, surprise. So, (laughs) (laughs) if they're letting that slip, then these are minor bugbears. This is a much more professional production than that utter nonsense that they let slide. So It was, but... At the same time, it always looks great. That is true. So maybe they just need to spend a little less time with the post-production and a little more time on the writing. Yeah. I don't think they've quite got the balance right. BBC are like, Netflix this, Netflix this, to the moon and back. Do they have script editors here? Do they not have that anymore? Is that not a thing? I mean, part one was dedicated to Terence Dix. Yes. Who's famous for being a script editor. He also wrote a whole bunch of serials. Right. But he was a script editor throughout two whole Doctor runs. Douglas Adams was a script editor, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do they not do that anymore? (laughs) Do that. Have someone who's really good at writing have a look at what other people have written. And in the old days, I'm sure there were inconsistencies due to sheer lack of budget. And it was like, we're setting this up and we hope we can make it or afford it. And it just didn't happen. But in the Netflix era of Doctor Who, they seem to have as long as they like to build it or CGI it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Dag nabbit. <laughs> I do really like this, though. We've started off with all of all the shits as well. Yeah, yeah I, we're, we're we criticizing do. it, which is fine. We, and people are tuning in for it as well. Can I say one more thing about Ada Lovelace or yes. her role in this? Mm. Th- sorry, this is not so much about Ada Lovelace, but it's while she's on screen. I thought Doc planting a kiss on her was weird. Oh, okay. She's sleeping. We haven't actually really developed any kind of... There's neither chemistry nor adoration between the two. She might as well have met some historical cricket batsman and... Is that a term? Yes. Batman. Batsman. I knew it. I freaking knew it. It is a historical term because now they're batters, but back Ah. then they were batsmen. Were they batsmen or were they batmen? 
Batsman. Ah, because I once looked at a flat, and I kid you not, Batman close in London, in Shepherd's Bush. And I only went there to look at the flat because it was in Batman clothes. I was like, this is awesome. A Batman was something different. A Batman was... Oh, I just remember the etymology of that. Sorry, go for it. A Batman was someone in the war who took care of your stuff. Mm. Um, Because Tolkien was involved in the war, Samwise Gamgee has been likened to... He was Frodo's Frodo's Batman. But he was basically his Batman. Yeah, yeah. This is a term that I know. I know it a little bit from Tolkien. There was that film with What's-His-Face. can't remember. But I mostly know it from Archer. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I was going to say the Batman in Batman Close. Batman is, I want to say, like, Roger Batman. It's not Batman, oh. it's like Batman. And he was an Australian politician. And I don't know why they've named a close after him oh, okay. in uh, Shepherd's Bush. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Maybe Doesn't his matter. ancestors came from there. So I guess the point is, yep. I thought it was weird that she kissed Ada Lovelace while Ada Lovelace was asleep. Because we haven't learned anything about that kind of rapport. And we don't get anything about the adoration aside from, oh, you're that historical figure. Fast forward to the very end. Kiss on you. Like, well, that's... Why are you doing that? If that had been a man, that would have been weird. If it, it had been, it doesn't matter. Gender doesn't answer well, into I'm, it. It's I'm, weird. If you let me finish. Oh, sorry. Yeah. If it had been a male doctor on Ada Lovelace, that would have been weird. And because, as you say, everybody can fancy everyone in this day and age. You got Yaz and the Doctor having their thing. Same sex isn't necessarily safe and on limits either. Yeah, to be clear, that's not why I'm saying that's weird. I think it's weird because I don't see that... It's weird on two levels. Gender has nothing to do with this, from my point of view. Mm. It's weird to me because Ada Lovelace is just like Rambo Jr., and I don't understand, like, <laughs> I, I don't get why Doc should have any kind of affection for her here. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. We haven't set it up. On one level, because it's over-familiar, and yeah. it presumes far too much connection, as you're saying, yeah. and it's weird on the other level because if you really wanted to be hardline about this, it's a form of violation. I didn't ask for this kiss. Yeah, I'm sure, there's, there's no consent, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. But, yeah. But, and but. I'm, not, I'm not trying to justify that. No, no, go for I it. liked the Doctor's little speech too slumbering Ada. Ada, you don't need a preview. You'll figure it out before anyone. The first to see potential in things like that to work out what could be. That's really nice. That is very nice, yeah. Did you get any uh, Donna vibes? I'm just going to erase your memory. I'm going to erase your... Don't don't erase my memory. Don't erase my... Oh, no. Of course, of course. That's the precedent. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, sad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, where are we going, dude? Let's go fam. Excellent choice. Or should I say... Plain thieves. <laughs> oh, what a line. <laughs> Plain thieves. Yeah. Is that the actual line? Yeah. Oh. Hello, friends. Or should I say, plain thieves? I mean, there are massive swathes of this script that can just eat my whole ass. <laughs> it is <laughs> so bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> Pick one. They're interchangeable. <laughs> Actually, they're better in this one. They're so much better in this one than in part one. They are because, as we know, it's better to split people up into smaller teams, even though the Doctor then assembles a new team around her. Yeah, but this is how Chip is right, I think. Yeah. If you're going to pursue the Bond parallel, James Bond does not have his bus driver, his bus driver's grandson and a local copper tagging around (laughs) after him. Nor does Jason Bourne have a figure from computing's history and a wartime sleeper agent. Yeah, also, Bond, <laughs> <at his heels. laughs> Bond might team up with, let's say, Felix or with 
I guess, usually some ninja adept woman in whichever country he's in. Yeah. But then he doesn't abandon them 10 minutes into the plot to then go and form another liaison with someone <laughs> while they go and have their own Bond movie. Like, that's not how it works. Yeah. But regardless of all this <laughs> yep. overstuffing of the leads, uh-huh. it is better to break it down to just the three of them or the Doctrine two rather than three. It works so much better. We've already brought up Tolkien. Tolkien was like, the Fellowship of the Ring is so unwieldy. I need two of you to go that way, two hobbits in that direction, yeah. and the rest of you go over there. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> we can follow you all and it works. We won't catch up with some of you for two books at a time. And you know what? People can live with that. <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> this trilogy isn't called the Boromir Trilogy. It's okay. <laughs> so, fam, a new theme has been set up for this series, hasn't there? It's coming through repeatedly here we don't know who the doctor is oh yes of course we've spent lots of time with the doctor yeah and yet we only have the barest surface understanding of her we just know what she tells us and that's nothing yeah what a shame the doctor herself doesn't know anything new about <laughs> her either i should have known that you were heading in that direction well yeah. i mean this is a great thing for the doctor to i mean she does come up with some biographical information at the end yeah I, yeah that's true. When in the TARDIS, she's talking to them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm a Time Lord. I stole a TARDIS. I'm from Gallifrey and the uh, Constellation of Casterbaris. That's it. All of that. It would have been really nice for the fam to have seen Gallifrey, frankly. Yeah. And then they could have shared in the Doctor's desolation. Yeah, exactly. When Yaz says, can we see it? Will you take us there? A solid accent. Yep. Why not? Is it because it's too painful for Doc, or is it because... Well, she like, she can only show them ruins, for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? That Can't would you... be weird, yeah. You have a flipping time machine. Go anywhere you like. Now, I'm not saying that the way the episode did it wasn't good in its way, because we do get to see Jodie go for heartbreak. Yeah. And it is terribly poignant when Yaz is like, oh, that's great. What's the next plan? And the doc's like, no, no, that's the one thing I can't do. Yeah. And you see her having to take all that in. How do you think Jodie did in those last few minutes? We'll come back to the fam. This is more important. (laughs) I think this is pretty much the only aspect of Jodie's performance throughout this double feature where I think... Yeah, standing ovation. Hey! Yeah, I think I think it's super duper well acted. It's incredibly... Jodie Whittaker is a good actor. Mm-hmm. It's just that in general, I don't feel like she's... Either she doesn't bring her A-game or she's not made to bring her A-game for whatever reason. But yeah, in those scenes, yeah, I was heartbroken on her behalf. She conveyed that perfectly. Yeah, the camera lingers on her and you see her do a number of different things. You see anger and confusion and I think some hatred for the master as well. I'm sure, yeah. As well as the pure sadness. And they give her plenty of time to look out over the shattered citadel and the ruined city. And her eyes flicker from part to part. And you've, I found myself thinking, oh, she she knows all these different locations. Like yeah. she's, she's used to get great panini from over there. And- yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's where I shot no more into the wall. (laughs) Exactly. Those are the two parallels, by the way. (laughs) Good sandwiches and war slogans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. She does do well. So I'm not saying that, uh, that you can only have it one way and my way is better. That, this is nice. But to have the two things going on at once, I mean, you, you've had it. You've had that moment of poignancy. And, well, I don't know. I guess we'll see how the rest of the series plays out with the Doctor has been told a lie. She's telling the fam what she thinks she knows. Did you get the sense in that scene that she was like, actually, I'm just keeping your arm's length still because this means nothing, this information potentially? Or does she not know the full scope? of? No, 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 no. no. I think she's just keeping them at arm's length because she's traumatized from having seen the end of her home. Yeah. I think that's all it is. And maybe she's not bringing them back there because it's still too fresh a trauma in her mind. But, uh, yeah, because Yaz thinks, oh, can we meet your mom? I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. really interested in meeting your parents. Don't ask why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no ulterior motive. <laughs> Ryan, back off. <laughs> <laughs> but you still can't have my sister. Yeah, also not. Off limits. <laughs> Okay. We're back with the companions. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about fam. What do we have the fam doing? We have them not crashing the plane. They come together. Yeah. Oh, should talk about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let's do that. and We'll get to the fam eventually, oh, podcast land. Take oh. three, definitely. <laughs> FFS. Seriously? What? The Doctor did it before in Blink? Yeah, okay, yes. First off, that video is... It makes me want to throw up my soul. It's it's so bad. <laughs> but, but I thought it was quite funny when the doctor rebukes Graham for saying, yeah, I did say it. Stop talking to the video. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I agree. I raised one corner of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> but it just feels a little out of place. There's a time and a place for everything, and maybe this is not the time to kid around and record an overly long video. But it doesn't matter. I don't want to get bogged down into detail. Yeah, don't let me get bogged down in detail, because I've got limited... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that whole thing, so there's a little sign on the floor that says, hey, Ryan Sinclair, go well, this no, That's direction. the second sign. The first one is Ryan. Ryan. The next one is Ryan Sinclair with an arrow. The next one is she's printed one, just one slip of this is how you land a plane using an app yeah. that what I've installed in your phone and I've hacked this. And it's in the back pocket of seat 4C. Because, what, does she know that none of Daniel Barton's friends ever sit in seat 4C? Has he got a sentimental attachment to seat 4C? Did he grow up in flat 4C? What's going on there? This is where it gets too farcical, basically. Yeah. In a relatively serious double feature, if you're going to go back and Bill and Ted this whole thing... Which is exactly what she's doing. I mean, at the end, it's like, oh, God, I, I, I hope you remember to do that. You know, like, I got to go and Bill and Ted this. Yeah. Then surely you make it a little bit more practical. I mean, there are better ways of doing this. How about you put a bomb defusal kit in the cockpit? How about that, for example? <laughs> oh, that's the first thing the master will find. <laughs> has to be more subtle than that. Right. Okay. So in general, it's a fun gag, but no. Overstretched. FFS. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's FFS OTT. <laughs> Yeah, you want a morsel of humour in that scene rather than a custard pie in the face. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I want a blackadder, not Benny Hill. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because Graham is sliding up and down the fuselage going... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I did quite like it, though. When he's holding onto the cockpit doors and then he just topples backwards. <laughs> You're right. It is too much, but it's at the same silly. time, quite funny. <laughs> it is, yes, it is. I, I agree. It is, it is quite funny. I completely agree with you. And as I said, I like this episode more than I did the last one. But it's kind of a tonal shift. Like this episode hasn't figured out its voice. <laughs> 
Are you a comedy? Are you a serious thing? What are the stakes? Well, I wonder if part of Chibnall's conception of what makes Doctor Who unique is that it can be anything at any given moment. Oh, right. Okay. So in a sense, it's kind of experimental. Like he tries something and sees if it'll come off and it'll come off to an extent. Fair enough, But it, yeah. it doesn't mean you need to throw out the rule book the baby out with the bathwater, whatever. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need yeah. all these phrases. Just pick one and use it and tweak it. Yeah. Because you're never going to come up with something completely original. But you also know when things are too much. And I get that tastes change. And so you push the envelope a little. This isn't a little. It's scattershot. It seems amateurish is what it comes across as. It's when, amateurish with a huge budget. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like, oh, let's give this a try. Yeah. It does need to be a little more polished than I, that. I completely agree with you. Yeah, But I want to love it. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I want to love every minute of this. <laughs> I want to respect it. Same. It's tricky. Same. So <laughs> <laughs> <all> companions. Yes. <laughs> okay, you've also got the companions plotting together in the half-built house on the yeah. estate. Super easy to get into construction sites, but no matter. Well, I think it is. Oh, really? Okay. Um, there are huge estates being built around Whitney, and there are people living in houses sometimes beyond, sometimes short of, just other streets that completely, they're just walls. And right, okay. there's no barrier. There's nobody stopping you going there. Like, anybody could just I mean, frankly, that's a good there. thing. There are lots of people who need shelter if it's possible to get in there. That's good. Yeah, and you'd be surprised how, on a big estate like this, people just don't care. They don't erect fences particularly. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, that was just a petty observation. But so how did you feel about that whole sequence? They go there to kind of powwow. They were trying to make them feel like they'd known each other forever. Yeah. Ryan is like, oh, did you just say I had a good idea? And Graham's calling them donuts. I don't think it quite came off for me. And it's weird because these guys have now been professional associates for a couple of years. True, yeah. And yet I didn't really feel like there was much love in the room. Yeah, I know what you mean. There was one thing in particular that stood out for me in exactly that way, and that is when Graham tells Ryan, he says something like, oh, you had a good idea. That was a good idea, whatever. Yeah. And he says, yeah, I only said it once. Don't get used to it. And it, it didn't seem like convincing banter to me. I'll tell you what it is. It's too cheesy to be lived in. It's exactly the same as at the start of part one, yeah. where the friend comes up to Ryan, and he has to get through all this exposition saying what Ryan's been up to. And you're like, these people are friends, but friends don't talk that way. Yeah, why they am I just not buying don't. it? Oh, it's because I've never had a conversation like this and no one ever will. Precisely. Yeah. No, you're right. So even though the three actors may well have felt a lot of affection for each other, <laughs> the writing negates it. Yeah. Sad to say. All right. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to add there, actually. Oh, wait, hang on. We get to see them outside of that system. We get to see them tricking the secret agents and whatnot. Oh, yes, of course, who are just around the corner having a pint. I know. Why does it take them all of, what, five to seven seconds to trace the call and dispatch two Humvees or four by fours? Redonk. It is ridiculous. I'm going to segue from there just briefly. Okay. Because there is a weird parallel to Norton Ayat Khan's situation. Hmm. Norton Ayat Khan tapped out Morse code messages to the British yeah. on a certain frequency, and she could only do it for 20 minutes at a time because 
even in the 40s, the Germans are listening in, and they can, with detector vans, track down your location. Oh, amazing. If people were thinking this began with enemy of the state. (laughs) No, this has been going on since the 40s. And yet when Yaz does it, it's so ludicrously over-accelerated. Yeah. But what it makes me think of is you don't need it to be that fast for tension. Nor is doing that in the 40s. And first of all, she's waiting for hours sometimes to hear if her message has been received. She has to keep the headphones on all night to get a response from London because they can't necessarily give it straight away because the Germans are listening to that. And so they don't want them to piece it all together. And you don't need it to be immediate for it to be tense, right? Yeah. And it's just another annoying, stupid thing. I agree with you. At the time, I thought the reason they are escalating this and accelerating it is because they're running high on screen time. We are looking at a one-hour episode. We want to squeeze as much plot as possible into that one hour. If we run even seconds over it, then we're in trouble. So cut everything down. Mm. But it's so easily remedied because there are a couple of just like panning shots we can get rid of. Give us two seconds and or five seconds, whatever, and fill those five seconds with them just leaning against a fence post, waiting for someone to arrive, and then they arrive. Done. Is it possible that... They, it's impossible. You've answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to raise as a possibility Uh that they knew where some of, is it Barton's agents? Uh, Yes, it must be. It seems like he's the one in charge of tracking them because he's in charge of all the personal data. He knows all the CCTV and phones and everything else. So is he now running his own parallel MI5? MI6? MI6 doesn't know what to do because Stephen Fry was shot in the back of the head. They have no idea what's going on. Oh, sorry, we can't get into the system. Stephen Fry was the only one who knew the password. So, sorry. Yeah, it is Barton's security detail because they have the information that leads them to where he is later. Yes, exactly. So there, there aren't thousands of them. No. So they... I mean, I'm aware that you have convinced yourself otherwise, but still, I wish to applaud your (laughs) (laughs) open-mindedness. Well, it just makes me think that you can't reveal that they're onto them because then you can't have the twist, the surprise. Yeah. But add a line, like, we tracked you down first. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know what that would take? About five seconds. Done. Yeah. (laughs) And then that explains how this isn't daft as anything. Yeah. So there was that. Now we have them <laughs> tracking down Barton after he's bumped off his mum. Did we want to talk about that again at all? <sighs> what a dick. What a dick. But I, will say, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like there's stuff about him that we don't know. Clearly, Chibbers is envisioning a richer character than is portrayed on screen. Yeah. So why even hint at a richer character? <laughs> If you're going to hint at a richer character, don't just deliver a stereotype, because if you do that, or an archetype, because if you do that, it's ultimately disappointing. You feel like you don't know them. A hint is not enough. And it's such a perfect place to start, my chippers, but you have to keep going. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so he's killed his mum. Yeah. She's the first of many. Right. So... Can I ask a question here? Mm. Because I feel like we're heading towards the point that we absolutely do need to discuss in great detail, which is the software rollout. Yes, yes. And the software rollout starts with his mum. It's not like he just kills her. She is the first of all of them to receive this upgrade. Well, after after some of the spies. 
Okay, you're right, yeah. Either that or possibly they were just experiments. But it doesn't matter. She is one of the actual rollouts. Yeah. So why is she just a dead person tied to a chair? Why isn't she a Kasavin trying to get out of that chair, for example? Or why, when they look at her, don't they see, oh, the Kasavin seem to have stored a bunch of data inside of her? That would be difficult because, as we had in part one, the empty data bank of a human lying in the bed, completely indistinguishable from someone having a kip. Yeah. So there is no marker to indicate whether she's dead or ready for data. You needed something. Tell us what's going on. Exactly. Because for all I can see, she's just been murdered. Yeah. So that doesn't seem like an invasion to me. That just seems like slaughter, genocide. Yeah. That's a different thing than invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. And presumably, I'm not saying this is for definite, because I don't know if Chibbers ever went this far in thinking this through. Yeah. But presumably, for humans to work as potential data banks, you need the humans to be alive so that something in the cells will code the DNA, recode it. You need enzymes to be working on the DNA, DNAAs, RNAAs, whatever. Sure. You can't just have a dead human and someone plug something into the mouth or whatever, and all the DNA in every cell is suddenly full of your information or giving you information. That's not how it works. Yeah, at the very least, matrix it. Plug them into a system where they are just organically kept alive as just organic USB hard drives. Here, if this is a hard drive, as in if his mum has now just turned into a hard drive... Yeah. Independent of whether she is storing an actual Kasavin, if she's just storing ones and zeros of whatever it might be, like Kasavin Pac-Man, <laughs> or whatever it might be, it's like someone's Facebook account, then she's dead at some point. I'm sorry, but like she's going to start to decompose. The matter is no longer going to be a viable vessel for all this data. Yeah, this is not a good long-term solution. Exactly. She needs to be like the comatose victim in part one. Yeah. And she isn't. Exactly. Why? Exactly. There's like, oh, bloody hell. You know what? I just downloaded the most amazing game. What am I going to store it on? It's only going to be freeware for a limited amount of time. Oh, you know what? I'm going to store it on this pork loin that I've taken out of the fridge. I'm going (laughs) to leave it on my desk. It's just going to be there forever. That's fine. That's uh, sensible. I feel like that's going to work. Well, you know, you bring up a good point. Oh, really? I wasn't sure that I was. DNA isn't specific to humans. Bacteria have DNA. Yeah. Bacteria exist in their trillions, inside us, on every surface. Now, okay, it's not the same DNA, it's plasmids. Guess what? That turns out to be easier to manipulate. So just get to work on the bacteria, guys. Get a Petri dish, some jelly, and have at it. Grow a hard drive. Yeah, what's the big freaking deal, bro? (laughs) Yeah. He's a sociopath and he's evil and part of this is about mummy issues and revenge on all the white faces at school because he was one of the few non-white ones. Wait, hang on. Is there a reference to that? That's part of Yaz's interview. She's like, how did you start your big company? And he's like, well, I was clearly bullied and had a lot of time alone with books because people weren't my friend because they called me nasty things. Oh, right. Oh, interesting. I missed that. Interesting. Okay. I think that's what the implication was. Okay. Are we on the rollout now, by the way? Are we on the software rollout? Let's get to that. Because I've got a question about the software rollout. It starts. It's yes. almost done. Yeah. 
then it's cancelled. Yeah. Does it replace all the human DNA that it was in the process of erasing? Or yeah. is, is the entire human race now about 30% human DNA? Yeah, is everyone basically a chimp? <laughs> like, yeah. Or a pig? Well, <laughs> it's very much like the Battle of Ranskorav Kolos. The famously single-drafted episode. Yeah. So you'd think that with an extra year, episode two would be a bit better. You have the Red Ray, don't you? Come out from the edifice. Yes, onto the Earth. Yes. and Exactly, you're right. It almost, so very nearly, entirely envelops the whole Earth. And then, whoop, guess what? 100% wasn't reached, so it's cancelled, so it's fine. So everybody just had a weird moment. Yeah. And can go about their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's sub-ideal. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and, and it's exactly the same principle. And I can't imagine how Chibber's got away with it twice. Because they make a big thing out of... Oh, that's why, isn't it? That's why the mum and the coma victim, they can't look any different. Because their DNA's been messed with. Everybody's DNA's been messed with at the end. But for things to snap back to normal, they have to look the same. Yeah. Otherwise, more questions arise. Yeah, exactly. Different questions, worse questions. Why isn't everyone a Cronenberg? Yeah, Yeah. and how did Daniel Barton get away? And where is he now? Wait, where is Daniel Barton? The last thing we hear is extraction team activate, and then he just buggers off. How did I miss this? Where is Daniel Barton? (laughs) I don't know, on a private island somewhere. I mean, I was going to draw a Bond parallel and say he is no Blofeld. He doesn't escape at the end. He is not worthy of coming back in a sequel, being the head of a shadowy organization, a Napoleon a crime or whatever. But that must be what Chibbers had in mind. I don't know if he had that in mind, but he was he perhaps... He left the door open. Maybe, if Lenny Henry hadn't then trashed Doctor Who in pretty short order Did afterwards. Did he? I don't know this. Wait, there's some good goss. In December 2019, Lenny Henry said, why have we never had a black Doctor Who? They would rather have a dog do Doctor Who than a black person. And he said this about two and a half weeks before his star turn in Spyfall Parts 1 and 2 came out. Wow. So maybe that's why he wasn't invited back. Wow. Okay, yeah. First off, fair point, and I'm glad that actually did come around or is about to, (laughs) but holy smokes. That seems to perhaps hint at some really severe conversations between him and either the BBC or the production team, including Chibbers. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't happy with how the episode panned out. Maybe he's like, oh, that's all I got. Or that's all it was. I had higher hopes. Why didn't I morph into the Doctor in the final scene? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And as you said, he did play a black Doctor on one of his shows in the 80s. Yeah, but that's... Okay, I haven't seen that since we did that special B065 episode. But And so that would have been on his mind for decades. And with every new Doctor that came along, he was like, this one's white, this one's white, this one's white, this one's white. Wow. Yeah. But hey, we're getting shooty Gatwa soon, so... Slowly but surely, yeah, exactly. Slowly but surely, not just the BBC, but television audiences around the world are kind of catching on. They're waking up and smelling the coffee and realizing that, actually, yeah, let's make some progress. Yeah. Okay, there are more things that need to be discussed before we can jump into ratings and so on. Hit me. Timeless Child. Yes. Right, so peek behind the curtain podcast land. 
we paused the recording and I just mentioned that this was the first mentioned of the Timeless Child and Drew corrected me. Drew, would you like to correct me properly on air in detail, please? Because I don't remember this. Well, there is a quick flashback within this episode to when the remnants, the swirling parchment-like creatures in yeah. the ghost monument... Oh, they mentioned the Timeless yeah. Child. Ah! And when we reviewed the ghost monument, we were all like, oh, wow, I don't remember that being mentioned so early on. And fast forward to this series and we don't remember it again <laughs> yeah and i don't even remember saying that in that recording <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> amazing but yeah you get that very quickly and then you get a flash forward yeah to tectone's protege looking yes. up and I think that's footage we see right at the end of the series. Yeah, they've clearly shot all of this already. All of this is lined up. Which, by the way, bravo. It's impressive to see anyone line up a full season of story. Mm-hmm. Wish it were a better story. But, yeah. <laughs> well done, Chibbers. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about the master being the one who delivers this message? Because I have quibbles. I think it would have been funny. For the master in his geocoded message, okay? Yeah. So he knows that for the doctor <laughs> to receive this message, she must have gone to Gallifrey mm-hmm. and seen the devastation. And he should have said, Ha ha, doctor, now I've made you see it. It's a fixed point in your timeline and you can't undo it. You're screwed, doctor. This can't be unwritten. It's <laughs> canon now. <laughs> I agree. That would have been so much better. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why he delivers this message, though. Is it a case of, you know what, I've already lost, so I might as well? Which, fair enough, if that's the case. And the reason I say that is in his message, he says something to the effect of, I just needed to get your attention. I did all this because I wanted to get your attention. But that's clearly utter BS, because he has, on numerous occasions throughout parts one, and particularly part two, said... What? She survived? I did all of this thinking absolutely that she would die before I had a chance to relay any kind of message to her. I wouldn't have the last word. She would just die. She wouldn't even know that I'd killed her. Yeah. And mid-episode, it wasn't her attention he was after, but kneeling and calling him master, which is a very mastery thing, sure. That's true, yeah. But again, pick one. Mm. Or just admit that this guy has multiple split personalities (laughs) maybe he does maybe he does yeah that's true but it reads as inconsistent so he goes to gallifrey somehow he learns of the whole timeless child's plot line in the matrix the time lord's matrix yeah oh right yeah okay and thinks to himself pretty sure i've watched the show since 1963 that's never (laughs) been part of it and opposes it to the point where he commits genocide Mm -hmm. He kills everyone on Gallifrey. Well, at the very least, he destroys the Citadel. Yeah. Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) There are better ways around this. For starters, if that's what he finds out, then that means he knows there is cause for infinite regenerations. Right, yes. Why not just get them and then bugger off? Or get them and then destroy whatever hard drive, paradoxically, is on Gallifrey with this knowledge. Ruin the Matrix. Blow up the Matrix. And now he is the one Time Lord who will live forever. Hmm. That leaves us without a show. Uh, Yeah, but he's the anti-show. He is the bad guy of the show. His whole raison d'etre is to end this show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a curious one. Yeah. I don't think I'm awake enough to give you an answer at this point. Okay, fair enough. Podcast land, it's 11.30pm. And 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 you have a drive back. Yeah, and this is part two. (laughs) Recorded (laughs) in the same evening. That is true. 
How about this then? Just yes. to say, I was so pleased to hear myself in B065, because I think I'm the one who says this. Yeah. M- maybe, maybe you guys chime in as well, but I definitely bring up, holy smokes, I'm so excited by this. Like, mm. there is an overarching plot. It's heading in a new direction. Yikes, caramba. I cannot wait to see what happens next. I think Marie says something to this effect as well. In fact, yeah. maybe I agree with her. But like, holy smokes. I was so pleased to hear how positively inclined I was to the Timeless Child back in 2020. Before you knew the exact contours yeah. of how it would develop. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Open-mindedness seems to be the theme of this episode. (laughs) Okay. I did like the master's line of, I'd tell you more, but why would I make it easy for you? Yeah. Well, that was nice. Yeah, that was nice. That's good. Oh, I need to ask you, Mm. because you know this, there was a meeting atop the Eiffel Tower... Oh, yeah. And the doctor brings up Jodrell Bank. Yeah. And the master says, Did I apologize for that? What's going on there? Yeah. So this is a, <laughs> this is a callback to Logopolis. This is how Tom Baker effectively dies, how Tom Baker regenerates into Peter Davison. Right. There are topics. There's a bit of a struggle. He's dangling from, I want to say, his scarf. I, I, I mean, I feel like it must be a scarf. Yeah. And then he topples, falls to the ground injures himself beyond repair, effectively, and begins to regenerate. But fret not, the moment has been prepared for, and he turns into Peter Davison. Phew! Yeah. So, no, it's not the last time that they met, but, I mean, they were atop a high building at one point, and that's, yeah. So I think that's another one of these callbacks to Classic Who that I just, oh, oh, goosebumps. Yeah. Well done, Chips. You've, You've selected those very well. Good stuff. So, (laughs) allow me to ruin the moment. Okay. (laughs) The master rocks up, almost limping in the aircraft hangar where the silver lady is. He's just had the most infuriating 77 years of his life. Yeah. Waiting for this moment to come around where he can take over the earth. Yeah. Now, the doctor, meanwhile, or after this, actually, is going to get very busy Bill and Tedding and intervening in the previous loop of the timeline. Yes, indeed. So why, if O has been kicking around for however many years, does the master not arrange a meeting and say, guess what, everything you're planning, it's not going so well. Oh, the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. We need to implement, and then you've got both of them (laughs) trying to to outdo each other with loop after loop after retcon after retcon. Oh my god, have this be a season instead of Flux. This sounds so good. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, that would be so good. I mean, it would be so difficult to write. Moffat would have to do it. Each one has to be set up somehow that the first go around holds together and the second one and the third one and the fourth one, they all fit together within it somehow and they're just spiraling inwards on themselves. Yes. Oh, I'm loving this season. (laughs) I want to watch this season so bad right now. (laughs) And so once I'd figured that out, I was like, really? You couldn't tell your past self what's going to happen that the Doctor will survive, and she can just rock up at the end and be like, guess what? I've rigged the Silver Lady so that when the Kasavin army appear, they're all sent back. And he's like, well, guess what again, Doctor? (laughs) (laughs) I saw you coming. And they constantly one-up each other. Yeah. Constantly. Oh, that'd be so good. You know what it reminds me of, actually, is... When Rick and Morty did that I heist knew it. episode. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. I knew it. This is like the fourth Rick and Morty reference of the <laughs> evening. <laughs> yeah. 
and he's the master. <laughs> yeah. Give him some credit. Well, he's had a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a slight negative master comment as well, actually. Oh, I. So in London Blitz, I mean occupied Paris. Yep. <laughs> Loveless and Khan are tasked with walking around looking for something that's out of place. And they find the Outback Cottage. I was going to say the Outback Steakhouse. The hut. The the hut. Yeah, exactly. And Doc says something like, oh, he hasn't even disguised it. Typical master so arrogant. No. Excuse me, doctor. Mm. No, 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 no. The master was so good at masking his TARDIS. Right. So good in every way that the doctor has failed since 1963 (laughs) to mask their TARDIS. The master has been perfectly proficient. It has been a caravan, a pillar. It's been a bit of rock. It's been a gate. It's been so many cool things that perfectly blend into its surroundings. What should happen is... Doc would need to clearly be alive in a straight line from occupied Paris to whenever this is 2020 in that hangar because she ain't going nowhere. She's not going to find that TARDIS and is going to have to live that time instead. Yeah, instead of the master. And that's how she has the time where he doesn't to implement the one-upmanship. Bingo. There you go. Also, I found the shot of the master's TARDIS plonked in the Parisian gloom looked very poor. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Like, really quite simply done. The lighting didn't... It just didn't look good. I looked at the telly so briefly for that snippet, so I can't comment, but I'll take your word for it. It's a complex scene and complex lighting to recreate, but uh, yeah, give it another go. Dude, I liked this episode. Me too. I really liked the fact that the Doctor aimed for the 21st century... And because of Ada grabbing her hand, she ended up in 1943, even if I didn't like a ton of the Parisian stuff. I like the fact that we were freewheeling through space and time. Yeah, same, same. Especially time. I thought that that was a really great dimension to have in this that part one didn't have. Exactly. That's the Hoovianism that was substituted for Bondianism in part one. Yeah. Dude, we're friends who agree with one another. Good. Glad to hear it. (laughs) Two peas, one podcast. (laughs) Okay, another positive. This is just a line where the doc says, I hate being inside livers. People get so offended. And then, what are you doing in my liver again? (laughs) Again. Whose liver does she keep? Because the again thing, the again thing is quite a cheap way to add humor to a line. But being in someone's liver again. That's so good. Yeah. (laughs) The unlikeliness of it. Well done. Yeah, completely agree. (laughs) And I also liked when she's diagnosing where she is, the 19th century, early with a touch of mid, top nerds. London, why am I getting steam? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's so nice. That's lovely. Plenty of little Jodie on her own moments where she doctors the hell out of it. Absolutely. This is what I'm saying. She is a good actor. Well, I say that. Just wait until you hit my mini. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I feel like I haven't been specific enough about the things I like. The master, when he walks in, want to be smaller, ladies? You can. (laughs) (laughs) He's a whirlwind of chaotic energy, which I think is exactly what this master should be. I completely agree with you. And I'm so happy in that scene, the whole smaller element of it. I'm so glad that we actually get to see the tissue compression gun or weapon, whatever it is, in action. 
We've never seen that before, as far as I'm aware. Oh, right. I mean, we see the end result. He just brings out figurines and says, look what happened off stage. Yeah, either that or Doc or someone else just stumbles across a figurine. Oh, dear. Yeah. Most of them are action figure sized. Yeah. And then a few of them are matchbox sized. Uh No, it's so good. Oh, it's so... Oh, dude, oh. you would love Classic Who. Please join us on the Classic Who channel. You would love the crap out of it. Well, no, because I liked what I saw here where he zaps the woman and she shrinks upwards so that she has to drop to the floor. Exactly. That's yeah. the final insult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the final little cruelty. Similarly, in the airplane, this is part one, where he takes the matchbox out of his pocket and goes, I never go anywhere without it. It's, like, it's so nice to have the thing that you're copying on your person. And he tries to put it in his pocket, fails just throws it to the side. (laughs) It's like, fuck you. (laughs) Chuck your corpse away. So good. Yeah. Were you intrigued at all by the doctor keep tapping out dot, 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 what that actually stood for in Morse? Oh, what does it stand for in Morse? Uh, Wait, 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 wait. It's a letter. It's S. It's a letter. Is it S? It's not S. S is da, da, da. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Da, 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 da. Oh, it's oh, da, da, da. Yeah, what I are really four dots? I wanted it to be, oh, it's H. H, 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 H. <sighs> Just one long breath. <laughs> Excellent. She's heavy breathing the master in Morse code. <laughs> I love it. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, I say I love it. I absolutely hate it, and I'm going to barf later on, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I liked how it was the sound of drums and the rhythm of two hearts. Yeah. Agreed. Isn't the sound of drums meant to be the rhythm of two hearts? Oh, is it? Oh, well, okay. I thought it was. Maybe I'm missing... It, I, I tend to misremember these details, but... Okay, That yeah, cool. sounds like something I have forgotten, so... Well done, you! <laughs> what have you got? Right, I only have one more thing on my list. If even. <laughs> oh, they hate it when you give them a list, though, don't they? <laughs> that was another good line. I've got some trivia. Trivia! Let's hear it. Right, so this is taken from TARDIS Wikia, which in turn took it from Doctor Who Magazine 570 Supplementary. Here we go. <laughs> Doctor Who Magazine Supplemental. <laughs> this story was originally going to be a single episode. In what? This, in this version, the opening would have featured Yaz getting her appraisal, Ryan passing his NVQ, and Graham performing a duet with a young Elvis Presley. Additionally... Mm? O would not have been the master, and the unnamed aliens would have been mining human DNA, eventually turning against Barton by the Doctor's convincing, who in turn tells her about the timeless child, the Kasavin. Part 2 was originally planned to include Barton having half of his DNA rewritten and escaping to Switzerland. Barton would have held Yaz's family hostage. This is such a different episode. Wow. The Doctor and Ada would have visited war-torn Paris through a seance, and the Doctor's friends would have tried to evade Barton by getting a lift from an old woman who vigorously stuck to the speed limit. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Trivia over. Is that not a completely different story? Not completely, but I mean, it's sufficiently different. (laughs) Completely different cast, different pacing, different tone, different everything. It's fascinating, and it explains to me some of why most of the episode is really quite hard to get a handle on. Beyond the atmosphere and the momentum, once you look at it, you're like, wait, none of this tallies with any of the rest of it. Yeah. So at some point, I'm assuming since Chibbers wrote both of these parts, I'm assuming that at some point he pitched that one episode story to whomever, I don't know, the BBC, I don't know who. 
Maybe, yeah. And, and it was just completely different. And they might just have said, no, wait, we need another hour this this season. Do something else with it. Wait, make something bigger. Make something whatever. Who knows how early in the stage this was? You know, how early in the process of developing the season this was? Yeah. So Yaz and Ryan actually got to progress rather than keeping their lives in suspended animation back on Earth. Wait, what? Yaz finishes her secondment or graduates. Ryan finishes his MVQ. There is progression there. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. They're not just held in stasis. Exactly, yeah. And I'm thinking of Yaz here. Potentially she's off on another quote-unquote secret mission, whatever. And she has that interaction with her family at the start. And then that book ends the plotline in a way because towards the end of it, that family, that self-same trio, is going to have been kidnapped by not Master O, who is just, I guess, a dude? Mm, yeah. And taken to Switzerland. I'm reminded of liking way back when the dad, at the beginning of part one, can't get Alexa to work. Yes, that's very endearing. And it does tie in to Barton's speech at the end, where he's talking about, we've got all the data on you, all your mother's maiden names. We have had conversations in this room when I don't remember which one it was, Alexa, Siri, or Google, was in the corner listening in, and then you received targeted ads the next About day. About that. Yeah, exactly. based on keywords yeah. from what we said. Yeah. Sinister as. Oof. Oof ma loof. Yeah. And in B065, we sort of backed Jim into a corner and said, Jim, this is relevant. Not everybody takes notice of this or is sufficiently aware of this. And now they've introduced GPDR. And what do we do? Every website all the time asks us, can we have your cookies? And you're like, uh, I'll yes, just accept, I accept all cookies. Yeah, I am all of them. so sick. Yes, you can take my precise geolocation data because you ask me this every day. Whatever. Okay, so fun fact. So when the whole GDPR thing came out... Because I used to work for a software development company Mm. with a lot of big, big clients with websites that needed to be GDPR compliant. We rolled that out for them at the time. We put all those really annoying little banners on there. It's like a harsh three-week period of the year of putting all that out there. And not even they, nor we, by the way, read the fine print. Even we went, oh, fuck it, there's some law about this, we'll roll it out. And the companies that we worked for, our clients, they just went, oh, who cares? We haven't read it, but I mean, if we need to do it, let's just do it. Yeah, sure, we'll pop that on there. So everyone, I don't know where this cycle ends or like where the scale ends, (laughs) but everyone is just clicking agree, you know? Yeah. It's all just feeding back to Daniel Barton. That's right, yeah. Danny B. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, one final thing. Uh The NHS was sort of held up at the beginning when Graham was being confirmed that his cancer was in remission. Mm. And they were like, we need you to uh, sign all these things. Data protection. And it's like, the NHS, the one beacon of data protection. And then in 2021, we all had to opt out of them sharing our confidential patient data with research organizations and whoever they're selling the NHS off to and all that sort of thing. Oh, no. So it's like, oh, well, that was nice for a while. And then the Tories, they just continued. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Right, on that happy note, how about we try to rate this? Oh, let's do that. (laughs) And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. Oh, you're fine. You know what? Fair. It's fair. Fair. I've already gone first once tonight. Uh, okay, right. Well, I'm not entirely sure. I'm still sticking. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I've written a number. I'm just going to stick to it. Here's how I'm going to start. 
here are some things I really liked about this episode. Let's hear them. <laughs> Please. The pacing is great. The master is... Ah. I think so. I think yes. genuinely it is fantastic. It's off the chart good, at least for this era. It's really, really solid. Absolutely. I didn't trip over a single thing of, wow, this is dragging, or how are we here already? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The master, spectacular, in that he provides a very watchable spectacle. And this episode replaces the 007 nod with a fair few classic Who homages, which is always good in my book. And even having a historical bit, did I say this before? Having a historical period person be a gung-ho companion of the week? Check. Reference mm. to the end of Logopolis? Check. There's something very <laughs> inherently Whovian about the master being in league with a powerful alien and ultimately getting it over his head? Check. I'll focus on a couple of those really good things before I get into my oofs, just for balance. <laughs> the master is such a horrible, psychotic bastard. <laughs> I mean, they literally make him a Nazi for part of the story. Sasha Dewan does a tremendous job of channeling every ounce of madman he can muster into one single character, whilst at the same time adding a slight tinge, a sousan of sadness to him. So bravo. Yes, yes. Especially at the end in that hologram scene. Really, it's a complex character. Mm. Side tangent, what's it? I think he might be wearing Hartnell's and Troughton's trousers in this one. In oh. the in in the hologram, he's wearing like checkered trousers. They made me like instantly. I thought of Troughton, and then I thought, wait, hang on, doesn't Troughton just wear Hartnell's trousers? So it might be that they have deliberately put him in a classic Who outfit just for funsies, which oh, is pretty nice, cool. just for you to notice. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe mistakenly so. The companions, they're pretty strong on their own as well. As seems usual fare in this era, Doc abandons her companions to have an adventure with temporary new ones, while the quote-unquote fam goes off on an adventure of their own. But it works. They're mostly stuck being total stereotypes, but occasionally they get to be a little clicky, which I enjoy, and they have some personality. Just to also another peek behind the curtain, Podcast Land, we paused to talk about, like, wait, how can we talk about the companions? This is what I mean by clicky. You can't really talk about them as singular companions. You talk about them as a trio. Like, as a clique, they are strong. Independently, sadly less so. Anyway, one more good thing for good measure. I like the idea of taking something we all do, namely pressing agree on data sharing in order to give up our lives. That feels very moffety to take something like statues or shadows or noise, whatever it might be, you know, that we, we all encounter in our lives and that actually is a nefarious alien plot. However, <laughs> here is what I don't like. Oh. Is that really what's happening here? Are we all just pressing agree? Is that why this is happening? What about Luddites? If everyone with a smart device would be taken over, then wouldn't the Earth ultimately remain populated by a bunch of alien body snatchers and a tribe or two in Papua New Guinea and, like, everybody's grandparents? <laughs> what if we didn't share our data? Why do the Kasavin need people's personal data anyway? And what the actual shit does their plan... Like, what is it? What is it about? Why does it hinge on them having the inside scoop on Charles Babbage's tabletop calculator? No, <laughs> screw that side plot and the bog roll it was penned on. I really enjoyed Lenny Henry, though, in particular in this episode, more so than in part one. But his character makes too little sense. And we kind of hinted at this. What's that weird beef he has with his mum? Like, there's clearly a whole backstory here that we never find out about. I would like to learn more about that. Maybe we'll learn more about that when he returns as a character, which he never will. So, oh, damn it. <laughs> uh, okay. I feel so bad for saying this. I, here's the thing. Okay. 
I have edited, let's say, conservatively, 360 episodes of this podcast. I've spent actual time. I've spent money on this. We all have spent money on this podcast. We've never asked for donations. We never set up a Patreon account or anything. But I think now might just be the time. And I reckon if we all chip in with like just a quid or two, we can get Jodie Whittaker some acting lessons for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> wow. What a setup. I'm so sorry. There are so many scenes, with the exception of the one scene at the end that we talked about kind of cementing her as she is a good actor. It cannot be that she's always subjected to bad directing. There's something about her imp... You know what? I see all of the arguments that I've raised in the past, and I raise you the acting in her video at the beginning. I just don't like it. Right. I was really up for this, for the whole 007 homage in part one. And I actually did enjoy it, despite the ratings and the mini and everything else. We might have been a little bit too hard on it at the time, by which I mean about two hours ago. But I don't (laughs) think this double feature did bond as well then as it does who in this one. It does it really, really well, and that's ultimately why I'm here. So I'm on board for this double feature, especially for part two. So the greatest asset is, hey, it's Doctor Who. Also, the end is so close now. Also... (laughs) (laughs) Biggest flaw, the lack of narrative coherence in favor of a grand sweeping reference to something bigger and more interesting that sadly I know is ultimately going to disappoint me as well. So Mm. with that in mind, I'm shooting all the way up and then I'm pushing it back down, unfortunately, and I'm giving this a 3.8. Okay. Yeah. Right. Spoilers, that's still more than I'm giving it. (laughs) Okay. That was such a long mini, I apologize. That was a maxi. Go for it. I think your comment on the pacing was very sagacious. Sagacious, you say? Yes. Because (laughs) I basically slagged this off almost entirely, right? I tried to pull up at the end there. I feel like we've both been fairly negative. Don't be too hard on yourself. We've both been very negative towards this double feature this entire evening, despite actually enjoying much of it, both of us. Yes. And when I watched it twice in the previous week, I was convinced both times that part two was the stronger... And while it was barreling along, I had very little to criticize about it. And Mm. I believe that the disjuncture between the experience of watching it and of analyzing it is entirely, as you say, because the pacing was just perfect. The scenes went exactly where they should. They had the right shape, the right course, the right sprint to the finish. But then... At every stage, if you do stop to look around, you're like, oh, well, that should have been better. And that never got tied up. And this went nowhere. But I'm still going to rate it higher than part one. And some of that is to do with how this episode deals out such poignancy. 13 wishes in Ayatnor Khan, bon chance. When she knows her fate, Khan was betrayed and captured in October 1943. She was executed at Dachau in August 1944. She met with the most tragic end. And Doctor knows this. And you can see it in her eyes. You can see in Jodie's delivery that the Doctor knows that. Ada is seeing the horror of the future written in the destruction of her beloved Paris on fire. It's very affecting, if a tad inaccurate. And then later with Ada, companions not wanting their memories wiped always tugs at the heartstrings. And losing ones with potential and curious minds to just being a companion of the week likewise. So to bring them both together here is very touching. And well done by Chibbers. And we're talking about, you know, at Norcan and Ada Lovelace. And the Doctor was so excited about the historical mashup. And for once, I think it was actually worthy of the hype. The exuberance of Jodie when she has them both in the same room. 
She's done this before in this Uranga conundrum where she starts this waxing lyrical about the propulsion machine. And she brings the whole episode to a halt for what, really? And gives a little physics lecture. But here, I was like, okay, this fits. Nice. And I think both Jodie Whittaker and Sasha Dewan do a lot better in this episode than in episode one. It's not to say it's perfect or all the way through, but they both get a chance to really show some range and really carry scenes, just proving themselves worthy of the camera focusing on them and lingering on them and having us watching them, frankly. Mm. And the twist of recording the master and spying on him without his knowing and that being his downfall, it's very neat. (laughs) Agreed. And similarly, Yaz and Noor have a parallel. They both transmit false messages or messages that are designed to deceive. Noor radios back to London... And that brings the SS, the Gestapo or whoever, down on the master. And Yaz is ringing her sister. And that brings Graham down on Barton's bad guys. But then we have the, don't make me do the old soft shoe shuffle. (laughs) Which I think was my least favorite line of the entire two-part. All right. Yeah, I prefer zap dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me zap dance you. And then somehow later Graham can shoot the Kasavin even with his laser feet. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nonsense. But you can go back and listen again to my extremely glum review of the lesser lights in this episode. I'm going to give it a 3.4. 3.4, you say? I had written a 3.7, but no. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man of principle, and I appreciate that. <laughs> right. That's what we think. Mm-hmm. What about Podcast Land? Ooh, let's find out. Listener Minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okay, so, so far, future Drew pending, we have two Listener Minis. Ooh, who's first? First up, it's hey, Maxwell Renner. Well done, Maxwell, for getting it in two weeks early, maybe. Maxwell begins. The second part of this two-parter is only getting better. Starting straight away with continuing my favourite scene from the last episode. I love the timey-wimey side of Doctor Who. The Doctor forgetting her gender again. I do like the 1800 science fair and the shrinking device is quite unique. But the kneel before me thing was maybe just a little too much. The team-up was very good between the Doctor and Ada. The Doctor solving the plan is a very cool scene. Also, the Doctor totally just said deep breath. Nice. (laughs) Maxwell also loves the fact that the Master is just chasing the Doctor through the different times. And the construction site scene is okay. Maxwell continues, I feel really bad about the mother dying. So sad. (laughs) So sad. Laser shoes and Ryan telling people the plan. This is what makes the episode so good. Only for it to be ruined by this, I think, newly discovered telekinesis power. Ah, not so new. You mean telepathy. Ah, yes, when she talks to the master. Yeah, yeah. Classic precedent. (laughs) But new in New Who, so yeah, well observed, Maxwell. The Doctor is able to explain how she and Yaz survived, but what about Ada? The little bubble universe the Master talks about where Gallifrey is, is that the same place as the 50th anniversary Gallifrey painting bubble? This is a good question. We should have talked about this, but I wouldn't know what to add to it, to be honest. The only thing I noticed 
that gave any indication of a bubble universe is you see the TARDIS flying through the regular vortex. Yeah. And then it goes into a different zone where there's more sinuous contours and there's gold. Well, there's a bit of orange, almost like regeneration energy color. Oh. And there's also a lavender lilac color. It's different. We haven't seen it before. It does say that the TARDIS is going somewhere new. Oh, interesting. Okay. Very cool. Maxwell continues, this internet story is pretty much an update to The Bells of St. John. Interesting. Such a good reveal when the Doctor turns the Kasavin on the Master. Are we being replaced? A perfect line. Yes, that was hilarious. And we all brought that up in In B065. Absolutely, yes. And then how did they survive the plane time loop thingy? (laughs) Awesome. Also, great use of the mind-erasing power, and Gallifrey is burning. Timeless child! Ah! (laughs) There's the full caps again. (laughs) And Maxwell gives this episode a 3.6 out of 5 masters that were actually good characters. Except Missy, she is the best. Nice one. But that's not Maxwell's only rating! Because Maxwell concludes with, this two-parter overall gets a 4 out of 5 weeping angels that got left behind on Earth for plot convenience later. Also that episode, it's nearly here. <laughs> that episode. Ooh. Very exciting. Yes, very close. <laughs> 3.6a for this one. Nice one, Maxwell. People who are not Maxwell can follow Maxwell online at what, true? The True Misty. That's right, except no substitutes. Not a True Misty, the definite article. (laughs) Thank you, Maxwell. Who's next? Why, next up it's... Tracy from America. Hello, Tracy. Sup, Tracy. Tracy begins, hey guys, it's been a minute. Hey. There is a lot to like here. Also some stuff that sucks. Like what? I like the video of the doc that Graham talks to. Reminiscent of Sally Sparrow. Agree to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Tracy continues, The four taps on the telegraph as code between Doctor and Master is an excellent callback. Agreed. Love how they even offer an explanation that will make sense in the absence of other episodes watched. Four beats is the double heartbeat of a Time Lord. Oh yeah, good thinking. Because if she said the sound of drums, then... People wouldn't know what it is if they haven't seen it. Yeah, whereas the other callbacks... Yeah, they know to go and yeah. watch another episode. Yeah, they can exactly. tell. Yeah. Tracy continues, there's a nice high point in the adventure, with Ada following the Doctor through time, the Master hot on their trail, and Graham, Ryan, and Yaz running from the glowy creatures. Yes, freewheeling! Lots <laughs> of momentum, I agree. But... Sexism slash cluelessness. Colon. <laughs> the d- Punctuation. The kneeling scene really bothers me. Did the master ever make Doc do this when Doc was a man? There's some nasty implications to her being forced to kneel before him in subservience at waist height. And oh yeah, she also gets choked by him later. Oh wait, when does she get choked? The top of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yes. I don't think he's trying to throttle her exactly, but he has his hands around her neck. Yeah, you're right, you're right. It's not even the first time this Doctor has had hands laid to her throat. The space Nazi did this too. It really feels like Chibnall is unaware of the weight of this gender dynamic. Given the appearance of Ada and Noor, influential women from history, he seems to be trying to get it right. I'd be surprised if he was unaware of the weight of the gender dynamic. I think it's supposed to register as a threat. Yeah, I think that's what it is as well. Yeah, it's not Uh, a bit of fun. No, absolutely not. And also, I don't think I... I mean, I certainly did not read anything else. I mean, I'm assuming it's fellatio that she's hinting at here. Definitely. 
I did not read that into the whole kneel before me and call me master scene. Absolutely not. I think they went to pains as well to frame the master and Jody separately for a lot of that scene. Like you had a shot just on him and then just on her. You didn't have them side on. You didn't have her from behind in front of him. There's none of that. Also, I think that the fact that they're in a room full of lots of other people, maybe that's... He's not about to whip his dick out. No, exactly. Like, maybe that's another reason why one's mind doesn't automatically go there. Yeah, anyway, it's an interesting reading and and a really upsetting one as well, actually. So, yeah, thank you for bringing it up. My mind did go there, not to dwell on it, just because the relative positions of them did make it spring to mind. But And I'm not saying I'm right in this, but I just didn't think anything further of it. I thought that's not what they're going for. For you. Okay. Tracy continues. Tracy simply didn't like how the storytelling. Oh my goodness. The storytelling with Chibnall often feels paced wrong. Oh, what? No. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Tracy, what have you been thinking for the last five minutes as we've been like, oh, Leon, you're so right. <laughs> the pacing was exquisite. <laughs> Here we build to a thrilling peak danger level, only to be saved by some off camera nonsense that feels made up. It wraps up too fast and with too little explanation. Well, yes, and Daniel does get away. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, says Tracy. Did the Doctor just don a noble both historical women so they lose their memories? Sigh. Yes, and a good reference, if I may say so. (laughs) (laughs) And Tracy gives this a rating of, lol, the Doc forgot she's a woman. That makes sense. Chips doesn't always remember she's a woman either. (laughs) <laughs> I, had to, I had to read that again in my mind yeah nice one. <laughs> oh, the magnificent apparating man oh bugger i've got it wrong again magnificent apparating lady never doing two in a night that's fine that's fine we got it we nailed it yeah first try Tracy, also many, thank you very much. People who are not Tracy, please, please do yourselves a favor and say hello to Tracy online. She can be found at Yekatnyatnov. That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards almost. <laughs> thank you very much, Tracy. Bing bong, future Leon here and Future Drew back when? Whoa! What's up, future Drew and Leon? Oh my god, this is so gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> The first one is from Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? What's up, Kieran? (laughs) Kieran says, hi, folks. So continuing on from last time, the Doctor is able to escape that realm fairly easily, but her setting up a way out for Ryan Graham and Yaz was nice and reminds me of bribing the architect. I hope you get that reference. I don't. Uh, Do you? Mutual bewilderment. (laughs) Bribing the architect. Is that a good place? He was an architect, wasn't he, Michael? Architect, the curse of fatal death. Yeah, we had to Google it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Kieran. Kieran continues, Oh, the tissue compression eliminator makes the same sounds as from classic. Nice touch. And Dwan's master to me has a nice sense of manic. I prefer him to Sims Series 3 Master. Agreed. Who isn't preferable to Series 3 Master? But go on. Him making the Doctor kneel and call him Master is 
a choice, and I suppose we aren't meant to like the Master, so his domination of the Doctor is at least played for setting him up as a dick. Ryan, don't tell them the plan! Nice lampshading of that trope, it actually felt fairly natural. The wrap-up is a little quick, probably. Yeah, just a bit, but I do like the Doctor-Master chat on the top of the Eiffel Tower. Kieran has some questions. The Master destroying Gallifrey. Can it just be left alone? The classic series started to go down the pan when they kept pissing about on Gallifrey. RTD should never have brought it back in the first place. Controversial, Kieran. (laughs) And Kieran concludes with, once again, enjoyable if having Chibnall issues, still weaker than part one for me, 3.5 out of 5 plane landing apps. Nice one, Kieran. Yeah, very nice. Solid rating system. People who are not Kieran, I believe they can follow Kieran online, Drew. They can. They can get access to his solid transport system at KJ Evans 2. Nice. (laughs) For all your Evan needs. Thank you, Kieran. (laughs) Is that it for future minis? Bogus. Yes, it is. (laughs) Back to the show. Bing bong. And thanks to all of Podcast Land. Thank that you. about covers it for tonight. For us, thank goodness, we need to go to bed. What's coming up next? Oh, this is a wonderful question. Next up, we've got a classic who review. It will be of The Mysterious Planet, which is... Yeah? I mean, seriously, uh-huh. hold on to your pants. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hartnell didn't. <laughs> nice. It's part one of The Trial of a Time Lord. That is super exciting. Yes, exactly. That's, I, 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 I cannot believe how excited I am, actually. It's, it's, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> throbbing. <laughs> <laughs> My heart is throbbing. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> After that? Why, in the new channel, as if anyone was unaware, the next episode will be Orphan 55. I hear really good things. Yes, yes. <laughs> wall-to-wall adoration for that one <laughs> after that at some point we're gonna do an audio who review let's face it it'll be the gathering <laughs> yeah well okay so audio's had to take a back seat but we're doing yeah. one episode a week now sometimes recording two in an evening exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so huh, yeah, let's yeah. face give it, it give us a break podcast lad. let's face it you're getting lots of episodes <laughs> let's face it <laughs> <laughs> and bonus tbc that's right yeah we'll see <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, where can you find us in the meantime while you wait for all this marvellous content? Ooh. Leon, yes. you're online, I know this for a fact. You I am. tweeted once three years ago. That's right, yeah. Oh, you were the one who liked it. Yeah. Or read it. <laughs> I, I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. If you high-five me online, Podcast Land, I will high-five you right back. What about you, Drew? I can also be found online. No way. I was bullied into getting a Twitter account by this very podcast, so I'm at Drew Backwen. <laughs> Excellent branding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Podcast Land, for listening to us. It's been great. I've really enjoyed this. Same, same. Dude, have you had a good evening? I've had a fantastic evening. Great. Me yeah. too. Yeah. And you know what? I think the tiredness helps, and also I think the amount of alcohol helps, at least for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because holy smokes, part two has just like flown by. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I hope it has for you too, Podcast Land, because that's it. Catch you on the flip side slash next time. You've been a lovely audience. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. Be right next to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. 
Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?